to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. What you're hearing today is part two of a conversation that I am actively having with Alexandria Grace Olson. Uh, Alexandria and I met through our Bible study group on the Discord for uh, the Patreon, and uh, we uh, quickly found common ground and common interests in certain um, and certain things in our background, and and definitely kind of vibed when we talked about scripture, and uh, and we sort of went back and forth trying to decide what we were going to discuss for a passage, and after um, after a little bit of deliberation, we landed on the story of Joseph in Genesis. Um, this is over several chapters in Genesis, beginning in uh, chapter thirty-seven. Uh, there was also a common interest in the. Um, straight-to-video release from 1999 of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, the movie musical starring Donny Osmond that we both knew of and were quite fond of. So part one of our conversation on the the bonus feed for the Patreon was um, part sort of review and discussion of the movie musical from 99 with Donny Osmond. And then the second half was kind of the beginning of our discussion about the scripture itself. And, uh, as we often do, we ran out of time to sufficiently, I think, cover the ground that we wanted to cover for this massive chunk of Scripture. So we decided we're going to do a second part of the episode and put this onto the main feed so everybody can hear it. Now, without any further ado, welcome Alexandria Grace Olson. Uh, hi, thank you for joining me again. Thank you so much for having me again. I mean, this this, this was an incredibly fun conversation last night. Um all, all day at work, I was very excited to get back uh, and and continue talking about this. And and for the listeners at home, if you listen to part one, just know that we absolutely beefed up the research on this one, especially in the realm of dreams and <laughs> in the context of dreams in the Bible. And I am just in, I'm incredibly excited. This is this has been so much fun. It's been a wonderful experience. So thank you so much. I think um, I think that we in the first parts of our discussion on the scripture itself during part one. We both seemed a little bit um, like we were making references to other parts of the Bible, but we hadn't really hammered out which specific parts we were referring to. I was certainly very fuzzy on the concept of dreams and where Joseph is reflected in other parts of Scripture. And so uh, we've tried to kind of tighten that up a little bit and make this more uh, make this more exegetically satisfying for those who listen just for this just for the meat and potatoes of the Bible study aspect of the podcast. Um, but once again, I should use the disclaimer that I'm not a biblical scholar, nor have I gone to seminary. And if I say something stupid, uh, thanks for continuing to listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, so before we dive in, uh, you gave us a little bit more of your background in part one of the episode. Uh, but for the folks on the main feed, why don't you tell folks about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Yes. Uh, Next, sum it up quickly. I I am I consider myself a Christian. At the end of the day, uh, I was raised very religious, but uh, I I very much struggled to live the 
Christian life that often felt was called for me. I grew up in the deep, dirty South in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, very much part of the Bible Belt, even though we don't often think of Florida being a part of that. Uh, but it was basically 10 minutes from Georgia, so that was that's where I grew up. Um, I, I went to all kinds of different churches growing up, but it was just kind of a general conservative Protestant uh, upbringing. Um, all, my whole family was very religious, especially my siblings and my mother, uh, something that I often actually felt very inadequate uh, in comparison to. I felt like I could not attain that same level. Um, and this all kind of came to a, a boiling point, uh, especially with my gender identity and my sexuality, uh, realizing that I, I, I was attracted to boys and that I, I was actually transgender later on. Um, and by the time that I had admitted that and even physically said goodbye to God in that, in that moment when I had finally decided to transition, uh, I, I kind of just turned my back from it all and didn't want to think about it. I, I, I thought I wasn't allowed. Um, looking back now, I, I, I know, I know that I still did believe and I never wanted to stop believing and I never wanted to stop being a part of the church. Um, so I, I had a personal mystical experience where I felt God tell me that I could ignore everything that I was told in my upbringing, uh, and everything that I learned to hate myself with, uh, and I can exist in what is actually, I believe to be his true love. And, um, it has been a wonderful experience. I'd say this this happened around the 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 first six months of the pandemic, and so for the past two years, I have been growing more in that, and it's been one of the best decisions I could ever make. Uh, I, I'm incredibly happy to be here. Uh, this is uh, also, yeah, as we mentioned, uh, I have a strong connection to this story in the musical. Um, my my mother had the VHS and the CD of this that we we listened to quite and watched quite often. Um, and if I were to actually sit down and think about it, I think this is the first Bible story I ever learned ever mm-hmm. in my life. And, um, and you know, if I if there's one thing in this book that I could talk about for hours, it would be this story. So <laughs> I am I am very happy to be here. I, I also did want to mention the last one. I am moving to Washington, D.C. In, in the coming fall. If there are any listeners that live in that area, please, by all means, reach out to me. Um, it's my first time living in a big city, and it'll be very terrifying. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am a small-town country bumpkin girl, uh, and I can't handle stuff like that. <laughs> but, yeah. So, that, that is me. Thank you so much. I think the, uh, It's great to be here. I think the um, in the grand scheme of Old Testament stories that um, folks kind of teach kids or that become part of the Sunday school curriculum, uh, absolutely, David and Goliath, uh, you know, w- we hear names like uh, Samson and Delilah and, and things like that, even though that one's kind of an intense little racy story if you dig into it a little yeah. bit further. A- Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, Adam and of Eve. course. Yeah. Noah. Of course. And, um, yes. you know, uh, Jonah and things like that. But Joseph is right in there. And and I think Joseph, for, for some reason, isn't, um, and we talk about this a little bit in the first uh, part of this episode, but Joseph isn't brought into the New Testament in a direct way as much as some of the other stories that are um, so, so popular from the uh, from the Old Testament. It's not brought into the New Testament as, as regularly. Now, we see reflections of it in the New Testament, and we see reflections of it even later in the Old Testament. So, it's obviously very important. And, and it's also obviously very important because it takes up a massive chunk of real estate in Genesis. Uh, so, 
anyone that isn't familiar with this story, just do yourself a favor and read it. It's, it is long. It is a lot of scripture. Find an easy to read translation and go from there. Uh, and it may not be the most sound of translations, but at least you'll get the understanding of the story. And you'll see immediately, I think, reflections of uh, Joseph from his ancestors and then reflections of Joseph in those that follow him in uh, in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. So, And yes, and I would encourage you, if you have not read it, to not be intimidated by the size, because also, as we established in the previous episode, there is a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a character will explain something and then explain the exact same thing to a different character. Uh, it, it, it happens three or four times, and you can, you can kind of... I don't want to say gloss over, but you can skim some parts. <laughs> uh, but yes, it actually, I think we're not really talking about the whole thing, but really Joseph's story goes all the way to the end of Genesis when you think about mm. it. And and if you, um, you know, if you look, the, the place where we, where we ended our last part of the conversation was dreams. That was kind of the main theme. And I thought, goodness, there is a lot to cover here. And and I kind of wanted that to be our springboard into the story this time around. I don't want to get hung up in one place for too long, but dreams are the sort of central theme of Joseph's story. Obviously, family is a major theme. Forgiveness is a major theme. Betrayal is a major theme. These are things that you'll see carried over in lots of other narratives. But dreams as a central theme is very, very important because it is really one of the only large narratives that uses that as the main source, the pith of the story. So my thought initially when we were recording the first uh, part of this episode was, gosh, it doesn't seem like dreams really play that important of a role elsewhere in the Bible. Now, of course, I was wrong about that, like I'm wrong about a lot of things. And and we, we did a little bit of research, Alexandria and I, and we talked about, um, okay, so how does this um, how does this look next to, say, a dream of another Joseph in, in the Bible that is the stepfather of Jesus in the New Testament when Joseph is visited in a dream to flee to and, and and told to flee to Egypt and then eventually told that it's safe and you can come back from Egypt. Um, how does it compare to the dreams of Daniel, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar rather, that Daniel interprets? Now, Daniel acts as an interpreter of dreams, which is an absolute correlation to the character of Joseph and what he does for the Pharaoh. Um, but we uh, we see in some cases, I think, widely, dreams are understood to be the communication, in some way, a communication of God through people's psyches, working within the framework of the brain to uh, to, dis- to to sort of either convince one to do something, to uh, make a truth clearer to them, or um, in other cases to like. Uh, to clarify something that they're struggling with or help them to make a decision on something. I have also quite often warnings. Yes. Uh, and many, many of them are, are recorded as being warnings. Um, there are uh, for any, for any trivia heads out there, there are actually 21 recorded instances of dreams in the Bible. I didn't end up writing this down and unsurprisingly, almost half 10 of those occur in Genesis alone and of that 10, six are entirely in this story. So six out of 21 dreams in the Bible take place right here. So this is, I would say, by all measures, like the most significant story in terms of dreams. Mm-hmm. And and so it, it is it is worth bringing this in. And um, there is also only one single instance of a woman. I think we kind of stumbled on this, but I was glad I clarified this mm-hmm. later. Uh, Pilate is not the one that has the dream. 
Uh, it is Pilate's wife. She has one verse about it, and and she explains that she had a dream uh, about about this guy, this Jesus guy, and uh, it told her that things were going to go bad. Um, Andrew Lloyd Weber, who also wrote Jesus Christ Superstar, as well as uh, Joseph the Amazing Technical Dream Dreamcoat, just cut cut her out, I guess, and made it just Pilate because you know they didn't want to reintroduce another character. Um, but yes, um, one of my favorite little tools that I have for Bible study um, is the Illustrated Davis Dictionary of the Bible. I've referred to this on the show before, but I wanted to remind everybody, if you have a, if you have a book like this, it's always good to just take a, take a stroll through it. Hey, here's a topic. Here's something that I hadn't really thought of as a theme in a biblical story. What does this have to say about it? Because books like this do a really great job of uh, drawing all of it, all of these examples together. Now, of course, we live in a digital age. Now, you don't have to have a big fat book that does this for you. You can go to a website. Um, there, uh, we'll include a link or two, I think, in the story notes, just so folks can kind of see what our references are coming from in this. But I wanted to read what this book says about dreams. It's an entry. It's like a they call it a dictionary. It's kind of an encyclopedia. I think would probably be a more accurate. Uh, a more accurate word for it. But this is what this book says. It says, dreams, ideas present to the mind during sleep. They may be classified as vain dreams, as in Job, the Psalms, or Isaiah. Uh, They may be dreams employed by God for the purposes of his kingdom. In producing them, God works according to the laws of mind and perhaps always employs secondary causes. They are intended to affect the spiritual life of individuals, uh, that the Midianite discouraged the enemy and encouraged Gideon, who providentially heard. There's all kinds of references in here. Here's, here's a reference to judges, uh, perhaps such as the dream of Pilate's wife in Matthew. Uh, many such providential dreams have been sent uh, have been sent in modern times. Now here's a kind of drawing it into into the our, our times today. John Newton, concerned about his soul's salvation, had a dream which made the way of salvation clear to him. Dreams can also be directive and prophetic, uh, used when revelation was incomplete. They seem to have carried within them credentials of their divine origin. Divine communications were made in dreams too. And here's a list of probably a dozen different folks that had revelations appear to them in dreams. So my initial... um, my initial assertion that dreams were um, not to be uh, necessarily as as heavily trusted as they are in Joseph was completely wrong. And so uh, sorry for the folks that listened to the bonus feed and went, what the hell are you talking about, Ariel? That's totally wrong. Uh, we've done a little more research. Now, one thing that I, I did pick up on this, which carries along with the theme that I was trying to get across, was that dreams are a product of our psyches. Now, there may be providential communication through it. There may be prophecy being communicated to us through a divine source, but dreams also have the potential to mislead us. They also have the potential to disrupt us, to scare us, or to, um, you know, create insecurity with us that, that within us that will, um, that will maybe make us make the wrong decision or guide us the wrong way. The thing that I found uh, a reference to this specific phenomenon is in Jeremiah, in chapter 23, verse 32. It says, Indeed, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. 
They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. Yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. So there's a risk there, and we know that. But if we follow the whole narrative of Joseph, we can see that this is, no one's being led astray here, that God is working very, very strongly through these dreams, uh, not just of Joseph, but of, of the Pharaoh later on. It's also worth noting um, in in 1 Samuel 28, uh, there isn't, I don't have the exact verse written down, but there is an instance of Saul, right before he commits suicide, um, he cries out that God no longer answers him, neither by prophet or dream. So it can even be suggested that sometimes an absence of dreams can feel like a bad omen or feel like it can can represent a disconnection from God. Uh, I don't I don't know how that how that then carries over into uh, real life, but I think that's interesting that uh, the absence of dreams led Saul to feel that God was no longer answering. Mm. Uh, so it definitely lends more uh, credential to this idea of dreams being a communication from God, or at least the view that was held back then being that. Mm. Now, I think it's um, to anyone that that has regular dreams, I don't actually dream very much. So hearing something like that makes me go, oh, shoot, maybe I don't have the gift. Maybe God's not speaking to me. Maybe maybe I don't understand God at all. Um, God's always speaking. <laughs> Let's not worry about that. <laughs> I was going to make the comment. I mean, um, th- there are many, 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 many ways that the Holy Spirit works in the world. And so I, I think that a lot of people hear of cases like Joseph, uh, of cases like other prophets in the Old Testament, and uh, even of the apostles and and in the acts and the miracles that they perform, that um, someone will feel very specifically like they've been they've been handed a gift or they've been given a special uh, kind of wisdom. Uh, I think most of us who are believers who have a very strong faith even just may not all altogether be sure that what we're hearing is the one true voice of God, and that's perfectly okay. It doesn't mean that we can't have positive impacts, and it doesn't mean that we can't uh, we can't guide people in the right direction. We can make uh, decisions used on you know based on the intellect that God has given us, rather than the um, prophetic visions that God has given us. Um, all the same, uh, let's get to chapter thirty-seven. We'll start with Joseph's dreams. Yes. Um, we begin with uh, Jacob. Now, the story's leading into uh, sort of Jacob's family. We go through his line and Esau, uh, Jacob's brother's line. And um, then we're introduced to Joseph. Joseph was a favorite son of Jacob. He was one of the younger sons. And uh, Jacob obviously had many sons from many wives and and other women, I understand, not just his wives. But uh, so he was a bit of a womanizer. Uh, Joseph was uh, kind of an oddball in his family. We made the joke that he was a that he was like a fancy boy. I think in our in our last episode that he was a little bit of a twink. If if we're not yes. going to go all the way trans with our interpretation of the character of Joseph, we can at least say he's a little. A little fruity. A little fruity. Thank you for saying it. And so I didn't. <laughs> different for, yes, different from the brothers, and and you know they, they he doesn't fit in with them. They 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 beat up on him. If anyone had brothers growing up, I'm sure you can probably relate. Uh, I I as I mentioned earlier, if you have siblings at all, I think that there's a lot to relate to the story in the in the in that in the family aspect. Absolutely. Um, I I I also found it very compelling. Uh, after, uh, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but after these do- dreams do occur, when uh, the brothers 
kind of make their plot. Uh, it, it points out that Reuben chooses to not kill him and that Judah decides to sell him, but their first decision to kill him, it's not clarified who did that. And I can only believe, lead myself to believe that everyone kind of decided to do that together at the same time. Um, but I, you know, I just think, I think that's fascinating that we, we don't get to know who decided that, but we do get to know who decided everything else. And we see, we see one of them, at least one of them having some moment of hesitation, um, you know, Joseph is so well liked by his father that he makes him a very, very fancy coat, a, a very special frock that he wears that obviously sets him apart from his siblings. And so siblings get really bitter about that. And then Joseph has this first dream, this dream where he says he sees these um, these uh, ears of grain, we'll just call them, or, or stalks of grain, and they're um, they're bowing essentially to Joseph's. Many, many, uh, I think it's a dozen. It was it a dozen, seven? I can't remember which number uh, that was. Yes. So they are all. Uh, well, that, I, that, it actually doesn't say. It doesn't say it which says, number. there we were binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose your and sheaves, stood upright. Yeah. And then your sheaves gathered around it. So I guess it's implied that it's 12 in total, including yes. this. It does say the number for the second dream. This and and the number seven is. Or I, I'm mixing up Pharaoh's dream, which obviously we'll get to in a little bit. Yes, um, yes. the number seven very important in that one. So um, he tells all of his brothers that eventually they're going to serve him. They're going to bow to him, and and all of his brothers go, "What the hell are you talking about, dude? Like, no, we're not. We're not going to worship you. Uh, we're not going to bow down to you." Um, and they get so frustrated with Joseph that they're like, "We're gonna." We're just going to throw him in a pit, basically. Throw him in a well, mm-hmm. a dry well, so um, so that— And then sit down to eat lunch. And they have dinner, it. yeah. They So they, they throw no. him in a well, and then they sit. <laughs> and then they think, okay, well, we'll kill him. And then ultimately they decide we're not going to kill him because he is actually taken by a group which the in the musical they refer to as hairy Ishmaelites, which is a— Bit of a weird kind of a yeah. descriptor there. We already dis- dis- discussed that it's not the most culturally sensitive film. <laughs> it, truly... it is from 1999. <laughs> uh, it doesn't doesn't hold up to, by today's standards in that way. So, with Joseph being gone, all they have is his coat, and the brothers uh, still have his coat, and so they need to try to convince essentially Jacob that Joseph is now dead. So they take the blood of an animal, they smear it on the coat, they bring it to Jacob, and say. You know, look, this is what happened. Look, the the coat's bloody. Joseph's gone. Very sad. We're all we're all bummed out. Um, and Jacob tears his own clothing in mourning. This is actually an action that we see often in the Old Testament of someone who's so deeply, uh, so deeply mourning a loss that they tear their shirt basically off. Which sounds very cinematic. A little a little goofy. But it's um, we will we will actually see it again when uh, Benjamin is accused of stealing stealing the cup. Bingo, and so Benjamin yeah. is this kind of more of a background character until much much later in the story. He's not as prominently featured until Benjamin becomes Jacob's new favorite son. Uh, this is a little further ahead, so let's let's move uh, into. 39. We can kind of skip chapter 38. Not that it's not important, but it doesn't it doesn't directly affect, I don't think, as much the uh the story of Joseph himself. It's a reference. It doesn't involve our brother. Yeah, it's it's Judah and Tamar. And and there's there's something to read into there, but we'll we'll skip right ahead to 39. And we see Joseph being brought into Egypt, 
by Potiphar, who is a officer of the Pharaoh. Uh, they, they refer to him as the captain of the guard. And um, Potiphar buys Joseph from the Ishmaelites. And Joseph is now a slave at Potiphar's house. Well, Joseph is a likable guy. By a stranger's standards, they seem to think he's pretty cool. His brothers hated him, but Potiphar kind of takes to him and, and trusts him. It maybe senses a, an air of holiness about him or maybe just finds him charming because he's handsome. He's described as handsome in a lot of places. I think human beings have this weird reaction to to like traditionally handsome or symmetrical people that we're more drawn to trust them. There is some research about this. I'm talking completely out of my ass right now, but there's something to this. So Joseph's appearance is is making him popular in his new home where he's actually a slave. Um, But he's kind of elevated as the head servant. He's brought up to a position of, I wouldn't say authority, but a position where he has some weight to throw around and he's got a lot of responsibility. so much so. Yeah, my translation my translation lists it as uh, he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Mm-hmm. So basically— So I'm assuming, like, manages property, yeah. And I think there's even a reference to, like, he didn't have to do basically anything, but this might have been in the message that he had— you know, Potiphar now no longer had to concern himself with anything but eating, uh, basically. That was his only task because all of his money was being taken care of. His household was in order and he made Potiphar's life very easy at home. So you can imagine with his new important place and being a young, handsome man, Potiphar's wife is now starting to sniff around. Uh, it's going to be obvious that this story doesn't have a super high view of women. Uh, yes, Potiphar's most of the women are not even named. Yeah, they, they uh, don't have a real prominent place, right? They they kind of seem sneaky. It, Potiphar's wife especially is very kind of underhanded. Mm-hmm. A few of the wives in, in Jacob's family are named. Obviously, Joseph's mom is named. And then Joseph's wife that he is later given, which, I mean, that in and of itself, uh, you know, that uh, she has a name later. But other than that... I mean, th- this this pretty central character of Mrs. Potiphar just goes without a name. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because then it's confusing. There's also Potiphera later. That's someone entirely different. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. I think um, the way that Potiphar's wife comes on to Joseph, I, I find very funny. Because she kind of just cuts right to the chase. And she says, well, in the ESV, she says, lie with me. But I think it's more just like, so you want to like do it or not? You want to like get out of here? Yeah, you want this? Come on. <laughs> like, I like to imagine just spreading her legs and like pointing. Oh, God. Like, Look, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is very forward. And of course, yes. Joseph being a, a holy man, a humble but a holy man, says, nah, I'm good. I got a lot of responsibility here. Things are Things are looking up for old Joseph. I was in the bottom of a well. A couple of, you know, like a year, not even a year ago, you know, I was not much time has passed. Mm. I was, I was at my very lowest point in my life. And now I've worked myself up to a position where I've got, I've got some, some, um, some comfort. I don't want to screw this up, but she will not be turned down. She's very persistent. Yes. And I actually, I know we didn't want to talk about the musical too much, but I think they actually do a fantastic job of depicting this scene because little Mormon Donnie Osmond is there with uh, a woman running her hands all over him and like slowly ripping off his clothes and stuff. And he looks clearly uncomfortable and is trying to run away. But then the servants grab him and bring him back to her. And it... 
she is ostensibly sexually assaulting him, by all means, because I even highlighted in my translation, it says, day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her to be with her. And so she's she's really blatantly ignoring this and has be, is being very aggressive. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You remembered it better. Do you want to sum up what friend of the pod Ian uh, shared in terms of the wife's story? So um, there is a slight difference uh, in the way that Joseph, the story of Joseph is actually present in the Quran. Um, and I, I mispronounce that all the time. I'm very sorry for butchering it. I'm sure that I have and will continue to. I'm doing my best. But uh, the uh, the story of Joseph actually does appear in the Quran, And he's a central character, just like he is in Genesis here in the Torah. Um, the way that the story is told is very, very similar. But there's a slight distinction in the way that that interaction happens between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Uh, I'm sure that there are other um, there are other differences that are minor, but this one felt important because of this uh, this this view that women the, the way women are kind of treated in this story feels kind of feels kind of strange. Um, in uh, in the story in the Quran, I believe, uh, Potiphar's wife does the same thing that she does in the Torah. She tears a piece of Joseph's clothing off. And in the, in the Torah, the uh, Potiphar then immediately freaks out, says, you were sleeping with my wife, and, and, and throws Joseph in prison. Well, in the Quran, the uh, Potiphar actually makes a point to say, well, you've actually torn this piece of fabric from the back of Joseph and not the front. Had it been torn from the front, I would have known that this was like a carnal interaction, but instead it's torn from the back, so I know that you actually weren't trying to sleep with her. Uh, And the story kind of continues from there. But it's so interesting. It doesn't change really the the woman's actions in that, but it's an interesting detail that Potiphar immediately just freaks out in the Torah. He says, I'm not having this. I'm not gonna do it. You're gone. You're going to prison. Uh, and then they have a really good song in the musical. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you uh, close every door to me. Fantastic. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah. Uh, our, our boy then gets thrown in, in in jail. I also wanted to ask: Did you feel was that? I don't know. Maybe just reading it, or maybe with like the current climate of hate in the world. When I read verse fourteen in, in here in chapter thirty-nine, she says she called out to the members of her household and said to them, "See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. Is that a racial element? Hmm. Is yeah? Why did she feel the need to point out that he was a that Hebrew? he was a Hebrew, or he, you know, maybe it was like a and reference that bringing for... him in was an insult like upon her. Interesting." You know, I didn't even catch that. Uh, that again, I mean, we just live in such a hateful world that I feel like we see this rhetoric sometimes in just today's time, and maybe that's what kind of raised my raised my alarm to it. But I, yeah, I couldn't help but highlight that. I even wrote, "Is this racist?" <laughs> question mark in the margin. <laughs> yeah, I guess if we're if we're referring in general to is the Old Testament racist, uh, I think probably yes. In, in yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably yes in a lot of ways, but. It, we can't really use our modern lens, right, on that. But it is interesting no, that can't. she points out that element of his identity. I'm sure there were all kinds of slaves in that uh, in that area in Egypt. It was a massive kingdom, lots and lots of people, and she specified that's the Hebrew that they brought in. Mm. Pretty interesting detail, I think. 
Yeah. Um, so when Joseph is thrown in, in jail after, you know, being falsely accused of uh, committing adultery with Potiphar's wife, even though it's kind of made clear that Potiphar's wife isn't really a super faithful woman to begin with. And in the musical, no, not at all. In the musical, they imply that there's kind of a, oh, what was the word that you used in part one? A, oh, a, a pansexual puddle. Oh, there Lord. is, yeah, there is <laughs> a, just a large puddle of her servants, male and female, just kind of like, Wiggling around on the bed together, <laughs> and I mean the men are so scantily clad. We did establish that as well. Yeah. Like the the men, the men are wearing practically nothing for half of this musical. So this is a yeah perfect transition into this portion where Joseph is in prison, uh, where he sings "Close Every Door" in the musical, beautiful song. Donny Osmond's looking like a hunk uh, in the story. Uh, Joseph is in prison and is approached then by um, a baker and the cupbearer for the pharaoh, for the king of Egypt. Uh, the pharaoh was angry with these two, so he put them in custody, and uh, they had some dreams. And Joseph, this is another, so here's the first kind of uh, interpretation of a dream that Joseph does, other, other than his own dream. So the first one is the chief cupbearer's uh, dream, and he explains to Joseph that he sees a vine in front of him, and on the vine there are three different branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was then in his hand, and then he took the grapes and he pressed them into the cup and placed it in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph interprets that to be that he is in good favor Mm -hmm. with Pharaoh, and that he will actually soon be released, and he will no longer be in prison. Uh, And so it's a a good omen it is a good interpretation uh and then the the baker seems to want a good interpretation as well uh and tries his luck and explains oh gosh where is it um okay there were three cake baskets yes, on, on, his on, head, on his head and the head is a yeah. very important detail there the cake baskets yes. are on his head yeah, and in the uppermost basket, there were all, all these baked goods in there, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on his head. And then Joseph interprets that to mean that Pharaoh will lift up his head from him and from his neck, and he will he will be executed soon. Um, as we've established, he has the power of dream divination, and both of these dreams do, in fact, come true. Mm-hmm. And we see them played out in the way that the cupbearer is restored to his position and horrifyingly, the way that the baker is impaled on on a stick, which is uh, kind of <laughs> gross. It's, it's interesting to me in this part that first we see Joseph interpret his own dream, have a prophetic dream and interpret it. And then we see Joseph take a dream that would have been a complete mystery to him. He did not know these people. He had no interactions with them prior to this. And yet they had these dreams and felt compelled to come to Joseph. That, I think, uh, is is a complication of how we see prophecy in dreams because, you know, with a turnaround a different corner or a conversation with someone else, they would have never had those dreams interpreted. They would have never, um, they would have never come to Joseph with these saying, hey, I'd like to, to hear what you have to say about this. So that God brought these two so that Joseph could interpret their dreams rightly so that then Joseph could be brought to the Pharaoh to then interpret the Pharaoh's dream that then essentially saves the kingdom of Egypt and and the people in it, at least initially. Things get a little more complicated further down the line, as they are wont to do. It's only only the first book of the Bible. There's (laughs) plenty more things that are going to (laughs) happen. But uh, that all of those little pieces 
fall into place so that Joseph can be brought into this, um, this station with Pharaoh. It's very cool and it's very, very complicated. And it kind of makes me think about, I've never been a Calvinist. I've never been a kind of person that thinks that everything is written, predestined, uh, that it's all falling together necessarily the way that God planned it. But I do love it when you see these kinds of indications of, yes, each individual corner that they turned was God kind of moving a chess piece, uh, or at least God providing an open door where there might have been a closed door before. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome. It's awesome to see it. I think my, my first comment about this story when we talked about it in our Bible study group was where do we see God in this? And there's all kinds of references to God. And Joseph, of course, gives credit to God for his gift. But it's not a burning bush. It's not a flood. Uh, it's not uh, a resurrected Christ. It is a, a simple person that's given a gift who then interacts with various other individuals. And, uh, and the outcome, obviously, is God-given. But it's so subtle, the way that God works. And I think that we can take away from that the subtlety of God's actions in our lives, even if they don't always feel entirely satisfying or um, wind up going the way that we we want them to go. Yeah, it really does have that almost like butterfly effect type feeling, like looking at these, these simple things because, yeah, he wouldn't have gotten his position in power if he hadn't interpreted these prisoners' dreams. He wouldn't have been in prison if he wasn't sold into slavery. He wouldn't have been sold into slavery if he didn't have the first dream in the first place. And, <laughs> and... You know, and, and I'm sure the coat also played a big part in that. I don't know. I don't know which made them more mad. I don't know if that was really uh, ever indicated. Did it, did um, it all start with the coat? Was it the coat that did it? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, man, maybe the the coat is the catalyst, and maybe that's why they named the musical after it. Because when you really think about it, uh, for it being called Joseph and these te- and the amazing Technicolor dream coat, the coat doesn't come in that much. Like it gets stolen from him in the first chapter. Like, immediately after he gets it, and then he doesn't get it back till the very end. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a full circle thing. I also did want to... I just highlighted this verse because I enjoyed it uh, before we move on to 41 and and, and, our, and our Pharaoh boy. Uh, I like verse 23, chapter 40. Uh, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After after promising that, you know, oh, I won't forget you. I will remember you when, I am, when I'm before... Uh, for Pharaoh or whatever, and then just immediately forgets him. Like this, the second he's out of prison, he forgets that dude. And you know, and in terms of this story being a reflection of human nature, I think we see that quite often sometimes uh, in, in, amongst amongst people. Yeah. Uh, we are we are quick to we're quick to forget our fellow humans, and we're quick to ignore others once it's beneficial to us. He forgets him for two years, too. That means the two years that the story just blips over from chapter 40 to 41 is two years that Joseph is spending in Egyptian prison. That's rough. I mean, yes, and he's just out living his life. Yeah. He's just out being with Pharaoh again. And, you know, this guy, this guy off. I mean, think about that. If you were in prison and you had this crazy dream, and you told to this guy, and he prophesied that you would be let free and restored to your position, and that all came true, you would just forget about that for years? Like, uh, it, that's... I mean, it's not unbelievable, because I know some people that probably would do that. I might do that, <laughs> but it, it's still... It's it's rough. It's rough for Joseph. And Joseph, I think, like we imagine 
So he's in the pit at the bottom of the dry well that his brothers throw him into. And then he works his way out of that and into a position where, uh, you know, he's a respected man within the household of Potiphar, and then he's immediately thrown back essentially into the pit of prison. And he's down there for a while. And, and he spends more time being humbled and I'm sure pleading with God and praying to God. You kind of wonder what kind of dreams he had during those two years too, but they don't really go into detail about that. So, oh, yeah, I do. I do like the cyclical nature of all that, too, mm-hmm. that it is a constant, constant cycle of power in prison uh, <laughs> for him until, until I guess until he receives this essentially governorship of Egypt. Yeah. And uh, and and we see here Pharaoh that the, the highest station in the kingdom, he is re- God ordained and respected throughout his kingdom. Uh, nobody messes with the Pharaoh. But uh, but he has to then resort to bringing a prisoner, a Hebrew prisoner, in to interpret his dreams and and relays this vision that he had in his dreams of uh, some cows, seven fat cows, seven emaciated, skinny cows. And weirdly enough, the skinny cows just just maul down on those big fat cows and eat the whole cow. <laughs> Pretty wild. Well, I mean, that would be the hungrier cow between the two of them. <laughs> uh, so I guess that part checks out. But yeah, no, just straight up, just straight up eats it. I've never seen a cow eat another cow. Um, yeah, it's kind of kind of horrifying when you think about it. Little little cow yeah. cannibalism. Are cows vegetarians? <laughs> also, don't they just eat so. like grass? Well, I'm pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> That's how hungry they are. That's how hungry they are. Wow. So (laughs) Joseph is brought in after the cupbearer finally remembers, oh, yeah, that's right. This one time, this guy saved my life. uh, And then I forgot about him for two years. Let's bring him in, see what he has to say. So Joseph says, uh, the dreams that God has revealed to Pharaoh is what he's going to do. The seven good cows. This is jumping in at um, chapter 41, verse 25. Uh, or rather 26, the seven good cows are seven Mm. years and the seven good ears, there's grain involved in the story too. I skipped over that detail. The seven good ears are seven years. Uh, The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is going to do. There will be seven years of great plenty and after them, there will be seven years of famine. So th- this is scary, I'm sure, to the leader of a kingdom, uh, but he's given a warning. He's saying, you're going to have seven years where you're going to have everything that you need, but after that, it's going to be rough. So it's kind of a warning to prepare, to plan ahead, get ready so that you don't spend your seven years that you're going to be um, fruitful uh, going, this is great. Let's eat everything that we have. And then uh, at the end of those seven years, all of a sudden, everyone's starving to death. I was I was also very excited to get to this portion. Um, I'm glad glad we saved it for part two. Uh, as as the political science nerd, I was very I was tickled by Joseph's uh, policies essentially and Joseph's rise to power. As far as I'm aware, this is the one instance of like a a centrally planned economy and planned rationing within the Bible uh, done by Joseph, and it works. And um and he he saves the people with this idea. Mm. Uh, I think that is, you know, not only, 
Is this a great story of seeing his rise to power and acclaim that is like fulfilling the prophecies of his earlier dreams? I also just love this idea that he uh, was able to uh, enforce sharing among everyone <laughs> and save their lives, essentially. You know, I, I, lo- I love seeing that. I, I like finding messages wherever you can. Um, you know, we love to I, see I, nationalized I, resources around these parts. Absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, even with our recent pandemic, we saw folks uh, panic buying and, you know, stocking up for themselves, trying to like resell and, you know, uh, price gouge people on the, on the resell market. And I, you know, it's, it's nice to read a story where rationing and sharing really saves people's lives mm-hmm. and helps, helps get through the hard times. They are, they are selling this grain to people. There's a reference to buying their, that the brothers are going yes. to, to buy grain. We don't know the specifics of that, you know, who was part of, you know, who was given or, um, you know, who was essentially who they distributed the grain to, who had to pay for it. Um, I, don't believe. Yeah, thank God it's not just a list of statutes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we would read that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we've got enough rules in the Old Testament. We don't need any more of those. <laughs> <laughs> it gets a little complicated. Um, but uh, so the the famine hits and it spreads to where Jacob is. Jacob and his very very large, very large family, not in stature, but in in size. Um, they uh, he sends the sons all but Benjamin, to Egypt to buy grain for the family so that they don't starve. Um, They're desperate. Uh, If we're going to make another reference to the musical, there's a a beautiful song called Canaan Days, which is done in a very French style. It's charming. It's funny. Yes. Um, And uh, they're like fighting over a chicken bone. It's it's great. I'll just say this one more time. Watch the musical. It's funny. Please, You'll enjoy it's free on it. YouTube. It's free on YouTube. I don't think we mentioned yeah. that. It's free. I don't even think there were ads. But were there ads? I'm not even sure there were. No, ads. there was. There was literally nothing. the The copyright for this movie is not jealously guarded. <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, you know, I people we couldn't find box office info whatsoever or budget info on online at all. It's a closely guarded um, secret. Yes. No one. <laughs> they don't want anyone to know. Only how much God they spend. knows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to find out when we get to heaven. Um, question number one. <laughs> so so Joseph being the governor of the land in this position of power now is in charge of distributing the grain or selling it, I guess, would, would be the case to his brothers. Um, and they approach Joseph. They obviously don't recognize him. It's been years and years and years, and Joseph's been through hell. Uh, not literal hell, but he's he's been through uh, awful situation and um, has been uh, you know elevated now to a point where he's dressed in sort of resplendent uh, garb. You know, he looks like someone that's involved with royalty in Egypt. They don't recognize him, and they come humbly to Joseph and essentially throw themselves before him, just like in Joseph's dream, throw themselves before him and say, we need this grain. It gets a little confusing here. So they, they, um, they're given the... Um, they're given the grain initially, or they're not given the grain initially. I can't remember what happens the first time their trip to Egypt happens. I believe what happens um, is he, because he says, if you're honest, man, let one of your brothers stay here while where uh, you are in prison. The rest of you shall go and carry grain for the famine of your households. I think it's implied that he sold them maybe a little bit, because then at the end, verse 25, 
It says, Joseph then gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to return every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. Okay. Um, so we we do see we do see Joseph showing his brothers mercy uh, without kind of telling them anything. Uh, he kind of does it in secret to give them not only the grain, uh, but also put some of the money back. Um, and we, we do see them when they return to Canaan for the first time to retrieve Benjamin, they, they notice that the money has been put back in their sacks. And it even says at this, they lost heart and turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? I love this little part because it literally shows them trembling Mm. from experiencing mercy. Uh, I, I loved, I heard someone say mercy, mercy is the type of love that you don't deserve. It's the one type of love that is not deserved, but given freely. Mm. And, you know, for someone who was sold into slavery by their brothers and had his beautiful coat dipped in blood and ruined, I guess he doesn't know that yet, but, uh, everything else that has been done to then show them this, this, this undeserved mercy, that's where I will give a little bit of, um, credibility to the evangelical idea of seeing Jesus reflected in the Old Testament, or at least, as we also established, Jesus being a callback to these things in the Old Testament, or j- it just being an example of God's mercy, and regardless mm-hmm. of the what time period you're in, you know, it, it is it is a constant thing. Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a theologian, <laughs> but I think that. The interesting, the the detail that always confused me about this was that um, they're accused of being spies. Joseph, playing, he's kind of playing a little trick on them. He's kind of playing a prank on them or, or trying to mess with them, basically, and saying, you must be spies. They say, no, 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 we're this, you know, we have all these brothers. We left one brother behind. And Joseph is saying, you, you, you must be lying to me. Where's that other brother? Bring that brother here. Um, so they they get the grain and, and Joseph sneaks the money back into their bags, which is this incredible sign of forgiveness and mercy. But he's still kind of messing with them because he sends them back and says, we're going to hold one of your brothers here and um, you drop that off, come back, and then you can bring me your youngest brother, Benjamin, who Jacob didn't want to go on the trip in the first place. That's something that the musical gets wrong. There's only one trip in the musical. Benjamin yeah. goes with. There's a really funny song for that, a uh, Calypso-style song in, in that. I think it is uh, as well. But um, he's kind of playing these little details and pulling these little strings, and it's just a little bit odd. But uh, anyway, they receive their grain, and they um, they want to, they need to go back, obviously, to retrieve their other brother. And we do see, we do see Jacob almost like, it almost seems like he's suffering from like a PTSD type experience with how much he doesn't want Benjamin to go to Egypt with his brothers. Um, I, you know, he, he already lost one, his, his first favorite son. He's now on the plan B, which that is in in itself a little messed up, but he's now on his second favorite son and he can't, he can't bear to lose another one. So he won't even, he won't even let him go. Um, we we will see more of the brothers kind of echoing this sentiment as well, mm. but yeah, I don't I don't want to get too ahead. Um, but I I just think it's a wonderful detail to show that uh, Joseph's death was not forgotten. It actually, despite it being years later, still greatly affects this family yeah. and greatly affects their father. And and Joseph is still not revealed himself at this point. They still don't know who he is. They return to Egypt. Um, Joseph sees that Benjamin is with them. They slaughter a cow. They have a feast. He kind of welcomes them back. And there's a little bit of this kind of joyous moment where 
uh, they're excited, you know, that that they're reunited, but they still don't know who Joseph is. Uh, and he's really performing this ruse at expert level. Um, pretty, pretty good stuff by Joseph in that regard. But he decides to test them. Uh, basically says, fill their sacks with food as much as they can carry, but slip my cup into one of their into one of their bags, a silver cup, into the bag of Benjamin. And obviously, uh, this is not necess- this is not dubious from Joseph's side of things, but it is um, an interesting nod to Benjamin again being the new favorite son that that Joseph mm-hmm. has been gone for so long that Jacob had to pick a new favorite, and of course he picks the youngest one. I think, and I may have this detail wrong. I think Joseph and Benjamin may be from the same wife. Or the same woman? Yes, they are. They have the same mother. Um, I also do want to point out with this this Benjamin being accused thing, uh, in in the deliberations of leaving the second time, uh, one thing that is done to convince Jacob to let Benjamin go is Judah himself says, send the boy with me. I myself will be uh, a surety for him. You can hold me accountable for him. Mm. Uh, as, we, as we mentioned earlier, Judah was the one who actually had the idea to sell Joseph in the first place. And so I think it's also wonderful to see the the remorse that now Judah's feeling. And perhaps maybe he regrets his actions so much that he is then willing to put himself on the line for his his you know his father's new favorite brother, mm-hmm. maybe as a way of like atoning for that. Judah is repentant uh or or at least feels remorse to the point where he is pleading um for essentially for mercy in this case, despite the fact that he was one of the the masterminds of this dubious plan that they had in the first place. Um, so Joseph uh, sees the groveling, essentially, the doing, the pleading, and the mercy. And at the beginning of, of chapter 45, there is a pretty powerful chunk of text. I'll just read through that uh, one through verses one through three here. Uh, it says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. This is outside of the room. They heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. First thing he asks is, is dad still around? Which is like a detail I think that they already talk about, that the brothers already talk about, but maybe he thought that they mm-hmm. were still lying about that. Mm. Um, and I'll just continue on. I, I really love this this chapter. Uh, just like I loved when, when Jacob and Esau uh, reconciled earlier on, you see this, uh, this same moment of coming back together at verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen 
and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children. And at this point, probably your children's 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 children. <laughs> that was my addition. I'm sorry. And your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. Um, there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. So much generosity, so much forgiveness in this in this action of saying, you didn't, you know, what you feel remorse for, you should feel remorse for. But understand that this was not simply you betraying me and me scrapping my way up to the top. This has all been according to plan. This is all according to what God wanted to do with me at this time. Uh, he sent the hairy Ishmaelites at this portion of the story. <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he's, he pulled all the strings. He sent the baker. He sent the, the cupbearer. Um, he sent the, the sultry wife of Potiphar. And, and because of all that, now you can bring the entire family in and we will stay together and I will provide for you and we will not want and no one will starve. It's so beautiful. I, I just can't help but smile, like, rereading this and even just hearing you explain it in this light, like, it it really captures it. And it really, it has that, that just that, that beautiful feeling that I know you've spoken on in, in, in pre- previous episodes of just this this absolute forgiveness and this this just walking up to each other and recognizing each other and recognizing that everything that happened in the past not that it doesn't matter but that it is in the past and that it all led up to here uh for joseph to be the governor of the land and for him to provide for his family and for them to live this life of essentially luxury really mm. uh and to go to go from them starving in the land of canaan to then thriving here uh despite everything that they went through as a family and despite the betrayal and the fighting and the jealousy and the favoritism like they're they're all together here in the end and that's what really matters mm. and like that that is what i love and i mean that's the stuff that brings tear to my eyes with the story just the 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 brothers doing anything to keep Benjamin out of jail for for the remorse that they had earlier. Joseph asking if his father is still alive. The brothers all reconciling with each other. Like this is the best part. This is like this is this is the part of the Bible that is about human nature. Mm-hmm. And as, as as fallen as we know that human nature is from other parts of the text, we also know that it can be absolutely beautiful from stories like this. Absolutely. There's a there's a a capstone on the story where Jacob is actually visited in a dream by God. And God specifically talks to to Jacob, who's referred to as Israel at this stage in the story, and they kind of flip back and forth. They do that thing with names that the Bible does all the time. Um, And God says, here I am. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I will... I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. So I think it's just, I mean, it has everything. This story is a wonderfully encapsulated narrative. It's compelling. It has a great story arc. It loses its way maybe once or twice or gets kind of repetitive, sure, at times, but ultimately 
it has a happy ending as, as much as a self-contained narrative in, in the Old Testament can have a happy ending, even though I think we know that beyond this, it doesn't really have a happy ending. But it can't always end. It can't always end. The so New Testament satisfying. comes along eventually. That's a great yeah, ending. The that's happiest the, the ending. ending. Yes, yeah. the happiest ending. I'm still waiting for the sequel. I don't know about you, but. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there there are a few, like, headcanons out there, from what I understand, uh, or disputed headcanons. Um, oh, God, you can cut that. That's risky. Uh, <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, just the, I, I love, I love the beauty of it starting with a dream and it ending with a dream. Yeah. And, and it, it starts with Joseph being given these dreams by God that he will one day be great and his brothers will bow before him. And it ends with Jacob receiving a dream saying, go back, go back to your son. He's still alive. Like you will, you will, uh, you will have a great nation in Egypt. You will. Yeah. He's, he's, he's promising this deliverance. He's promising this, this new life. And, and that, that earlier, earlier message about, uh, Joseph preserving a remnant on earth, that's kind of reflecting, I guess, what will then later become the survival of the greater nation of Israel and and everything that is to come in the next however many books uh, <laughs> in the Old Testament and, you know, the the, the never-ending story. Um, yeah. I, um, I don't know, it's, it's beautiful. There were so many points that I feel like I still didn't get to touch on here, but I think oh, we need to wrap this episode up yeah, maybe we'll do a yes. part three. I really love talking to you about maybe. this. This was awesome. Yes. Um, no, I've I've had such a such amazing time, such an amazing experience. Like this is this is truly a blessing, and I want to genuinely thank you for this. Do you want to do any um, any plugs anywhere where people can find you if you want them to find you, or don't if oh, you gosh. don't want them to find you? <laughs> No, yeah. Um, for I mean, for anyone who listens to this podcast, like I'm sure you're someone that I would get along with. What is my? I changed my Instagram handle so much. I need to check what it is right now. Okay, so on Instagram, that's pretty much the only main social media I use. It is private, so if you're a creep, I won't let you follow me. But I am the second lavender scare. That is all, all one word, no dashes, no spaces. The second lavender scare. Uh, you, I'm sure you're, if you're familiar with the first Lavender Scare, I mentioned I'm moving to D.C. I am the second Lavender Scare now. Uh, be, be afraid. Um, plugs, I don't really have anything big. I mean, lo- love your love your neighbor. Love the people in your life. Donate to mutual aid uh, in your town if you, if you have that. If you don't, start something. Uh, go to punk shows. Support your local scenes. I don't know. Like, any, be, be a good person and do what makes you happy. And that's the best plug that I can offer because I personally do not have anything. I recently got back into making music, but I'm not posting it anywhere yet, so I can't plug that. Uh, but no, just yeah, be be happy is my plug, and um, and join join the patron Discord if you if you can. Uh, it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful little group for Bible study. Uh, as Ariel mentioned, this is how we met, and it's been. Nothing but blessings in my life. Everyone in there is such a beautiful soul. I I, lo- I love all of them dearly, mm. and I, I'm I'm one who typically didn't always believe in the power of online communities and felt I couldn't gel or like connect with people emotionally. I'm very much a face to face person, but here we are zooming from an entire country away. Uh, quite literally, we are in opposite <laughs> corners, um, and 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 I'm loving it. I love I love our I love our group. I love our discussion. So if you're if you're able to like, I'm not even trying to like plug or be like a saleswoman. Like, just it's a wonderful community. 
if if you feel like doing that, and you get to support our 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 wonderful Miss Ariel <laughs> uh, and everything that she does for us. You just gave but, a better yes. plug for the Patreon than I even could, but. I'll just say it again, uh, <laughs> patreon.com backslash forward slash whatever the hell slash it is, Trans Regret Snoopy. It's Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible on Patreon if you want to search there. Um, it's a beautiful group of people, friends in Christ, uh, even some people who don't consider themselves in Christ. Uh, we have weekly- And you're still welcome. You are absolutely welcome. welcome. We love you. We have weekly Bible studies, regular movies that we just kind of get together and watch because- whatever. Um, there's a weekly rosary group that we're doing right now that I'm absolutely loving. Um, it is such a blessing to, to, to get to know everybody. And, and especially Alexandria, thank you. It's such a blessing that you came on the show. I really appreciate you. This week's poem is called a poem for Joseph and his brothers. It wasn't the colorful coat or even Joseph's dreams that tipped the balance. Maybe it was the day too hot, or maybe just the fact that there was a pit the traitors hadn't happened by, they would have all had supper together. Reuben's voice as eldest would have decided the outcome, but instead the cup of resentment filled drop by drop for years is drained in one sudden act of violence. The deal is done, the money changes hands, and Joseph is on his way to Egypt. The coat is the cover-up they need. They find their story in the mind of their father, anxious about his young son's solitary journey. They didn't even technically lie, only asking, is this your son's coat? The one thing the brothers hadn't counted on was their father's grief, its expansiveness, its power to grow in their lives, like a seedling in the crack of a rock. In Egypt, we find that Judah is a changed man. It wasn't being thrown in jail that did it, or the misfortune of the mysterious stolen cup It's not the trips back and forth carrying money and grain. The seed of remorse was rooted in him, watered by years of Jacob's tears. And it blossoms suddenly as he bargains for his brother's life, as he tries to give his own to save his father, who cannot survive another season of grief. When the Egyptian ruler speaks their language with the shocking words, my brothers, they see him morph from bejeweled foreigner into Joseph, their own flesh and blood risen from the grave of Egypt. His presence haunts them with forgiveness. Even at their father's death, the brothers still fear Joseph. Their long done deed aches like an old wound in the deep heart's core, untouched by Joseph's healing words, the tears he weeps. Thanks everybody. And now to sing this lovely bell. Stars shining bright above you Night breezes seem to whisper I love you Birds singing in the sycamore tree Dream a little dream of me Say nighty night and kiss me Just hold me tight and tell me you'll miss me While I'm alone and blue as can be Dream a little dream of me
that leave all war.